Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 276 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is June 24th. 2013 got a lot to get to this week on the podcast got a great show dan weber coming up later on coach harvey hyde is always in the first segment lots of questions to get to if you have questions for us podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address or call us 206-888-6755 or go to our website peristylepodcast.com and leave a voicemail right on the left side of the page and we're bringing in coach harvey hyde what's up coach how you doing sir Everything is great, buddy. I tell you, we're getting you uh, close to now what you call uh, a super holiday, July the 4th, and that brings us closer to football, and the publications are out. I went to a bookstore the other day and bought four of them, bought four of them, and I'm going to sit down and start to read them all and get up to date on what the, writer, what the writers feel about a lot of these things. Sometimes they know a lot, sometimes you say, wow, how can that happen, and sometimes you learn a lot, so... Uh, I'm looking forward to doing my reading here. All right. Well, I wanted to jump into some of these questions, but I wanted to thank our sponsors for Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, or go call them at 1-800-888-7287. Tickets for anything, sports in Southern California or across the nation. They can definitely help you out. They've helped us out over the years, and we really appreciate them being part of the show. And uh, Coach, yeah, all the publications coming out. I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure if it's, I know Dan Weber would, would grab them, and I, I know yourself and some other people. A lot of the younger fans, I think they're big into the let's read them online and stuff. But I, just still there's something cool about holding those, you know, just packets of information in your hand and kind of reading, reminding yourself of stuff that happened last year and getting familiar with some of, you know, opponents or different teams that you're kind of interested in. It's, it's kind of a fun time of the year to, to get this going before fall camp actually starts. Ryan, I agree with you. You sit there or you sit on the beach or sit on your patio and you, you have everything in one book and you read through one book and get its feelings and you pick up the next one and then you go back and forth and check on last year's schedule and what their record was, what their power rating is, the, what team is, what leagues uh, are going to uh, the toughest leagues, what uh, conferences are going to be dropping down, all, all of this type of knowledge. And I think it's really great to get the opinion of other people and then, of course, you form your own opinion, and but you consider what they're saying along the way. By the way, I want to say I passed my driving test. Oh, wow. uh, this doesn't fit into this uh, segment at all. <laughs> but if you haven't had a driving test for 30 years and all of a sudden you go down to get your license and the guy says, step in that room, you got to take this test, written test. You say, uh-oh, what's going to happen here? But I passed it, so it made me feel good, so maybe they'll let me drive for a while. So you had to go take the written test again? Is it just like a time limit thing? I did. I uh, did. No, no time limit. No time limit. No, I mean, like as far NCAA as like... test, you got to take it every <laughs> year, coach. But this one, you know, they try to trick you on little questions. I don't know how many people out there have taken the test lately, but I was a little worried. And I was surprised I, I went through it that easily. Okay. Well, congratulations, coach. I'm glad. Well, you thank you very much. I'll talk to you next week. I'm not. 
<laughs> you can drive wherever you got to go now. So that's good. I, I don't know if that's good for the people on Southern California freeways and the city of Pasadena, <laughs> but you know, we'll see. Congratulations for that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Um, well, let's jump in. We got some questions here, Coach. I wanted to get into some of these. Um, first one, we'll do a voicemail question to, to start off the show. Here you go. Yeah, this is Richard from Toluca Lake, and I have a comment and a question. My comment is uh, I've been following USC football since 1956 when I was a little boy. I don't think I've ever gone into a season with more question marks on both sides of the ball, including the coaching staff. And I wonder if you guys could comment on that as well. And my question is for the coach, what do you think, again, of this year of possibly Lane Kiffin calling plays and seem to be completely removed from the team when he is calling those plays? I'd like to know what you did as a coach, and I know you have interaction with your players. What do you think of Kiffin, the way he is doing his thing? Thanks a lot. Enjoy the show. Bye. Well, thank you very much for the question. It is something a lot of people are talking about, and uh, we really don't know yet. He hadn't made the determination if he's going to call the plays or Clay Helton is going to call the plays. Uh, When I was a younger coach and I was on the junior college level, I called the offensive side of the uh, football, and I called the defensive side too because I was young and I wanted to still be a part of the team and call the plays and get that, you know, out of my system. Then when I went to the four-year level, uh, uh, I found out there were just too many distractions, too many things I had to take care of rather than just football. Press conferences, off-the-field issues, academics, booster club meetings, meetings with the athletic director, just too many things for me to prepare for a football game. And if I did one, then, and, and, and then I was cheating the other. And if I did more, spent more time on one than I was cheating the other. So I went with my coordinators, and my coordinators were the guys that uh, that made the calls in the game. But I can call, I controlled the game. But what I mean is, I was a part of the offense, I was a part of the defense, I was part of the special teams and meetings. I would sit in on meetings. I would make the defense feel as though they were just as important to me as the offense when I sat in the offensive meetings. Or the special teams. I've told you that story several times on Randall Cunningham when he was punting and how I took over the punting situation when somebody started to coach him. So, you know, I think on the level of what USC is and other great universities, you take Ohio State or Notre Dame or whatever these universities are, the guys that want to play for a national championship, Alabama, and you look at the different methods that are being used, Lou Saban is in control of the game, but he's not calling the game. Urban Myers is in control of the game, but he's not calling the game. Uh, you, you, but then you look down at Notre Dame, and, and you see that uh, Brian Kelly is, is, I think, calling the game. I'm not sure. Maybe the offensive coordinator is calling the game. But I think you've got to be in control of the game. You've got to know how many timeouts you have. You've got to be able to encourage the offense, the defense. You've got to talk to the defensive coaches, the offensive coaches, the players. You've got to be involved in what's happening in the game as far as what you need to do to win that football game. And I think when you're intently involved in one side of the football, only it's a distraction to the rest of the other parts of the game. And I think Coach Kiffin uh, is very much involved in the offense, and I think it's a distraction to the defense and the special teams part of the game and the personnel, which are your players. I think you don't have the time to talk to your players individually, coach your players individually. Congratulate your players when they make a big play or if they make a bad play or a stupid play. 
be able to talk to them by putting your arm around them or whatever's necessary to get their attention. Will he call the plays next year? I'm not sure. I think he'd be smart to really think about maybe not calling the plays next year, but being in control of the game and knowing what plays are being called and put his input into it, but leave the responsibility to someone else. But that's, of course, not my decision. It was my decision when I was coaching, and this is the decision that he has to uh, to make because I think that people can be more critical on any coach when they know the coach is making the calls on the plays, but if they don't work, it, there he is again making that type of play, passing the ball on the one-yard line, and it's first down. Uh, so I think that that I think it's a lot easier to control the game and have confidence in who you select to call the game or get someone else to call the game who you do have confidence in. And I always used to do that. If a guy wasn't getting it done, then, you know, we got to make a move. got to make a change. It happens in every form of, of vocational trade or whatever you're doing out there, and you guys can all relate to that. So that's how I feel on that. The uh, It's interesting, Coach, that if if, if – Lane Kiffin comes out and calls plays this year, and the team starts winning. I, I think the criticism will go away, uh, or at least be quieted. But you know, we've heard this a lot throughout the entire offseason. I think it's just people wanting answers to questions they're not sure. I mean, you look at a team that's as talented as it was, and you know, lost six games last year, and it's a head scratcher for a lot of the fans and alumni, boosters, everybody. And uh, I. I, it seems to me, I don't know, I'm, I'm curious to see what Lane Kiffin does because I know he likes to try to prove prove points sometimes, you know. And if and if he says, well, we can go out and win a bunch of games with me calling plays and he wants to prove that he can, um, I'm curious to see what ends up happening uh, if the team is successful and, and, and does start winning games even if he's still calling the plays. Is it to try to shut up critics or, or how that ends up developing? But um, I, I could see him trying to prove a point here that he's going to do what he wants to do. But then it would just be, I guess it would be even worse if the team started losing games again because he didn't change what was, you know, what a lot of people perceived wasn't working last year. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. You can't be stubborn when in, 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 in running a football program. You've got to do what's best for the football program because it's, it's, it is a bubble year. It is a year where people are looking for success. And you need to do whatever you can do to achieve that success. What is a successful season? I mean, is it uh, having a lot of stats and Marquise Lee winning the Heisman Trophy? Or is it winning 10, 12 football games and Marquise Lee being first-team All-Pac-12? Uh, I think it's the overall picture, winning football games, playing for a Pac-12 championship, going to a bowl game. And I think Marquise Lee would understand that, too. You've got to have a T-shirt that says team. Then underneath that T-shirt, it says me. We used to wear those t-shirts all the time because I think people sometimes forget they're thinking about the next level and if they don't catch the ball 15 times a game, they're pouting around on the sideline. So you sell that winning as a team and uh, the main stat that counts is the W's in the left-hand column. All right. I know. I, just a real quick coach and people have asked me this a lot, so I wanted to bring it up. What do you think a successful season would be? It's an easier schedule. There's 13 games on the schedule. Um, I mean, is a, is a 10 and three season in the regular season? Would you call that successful right now? At nine and four, you know, winning nine games usually pretty good. 
But you might have a bad loss or two in there if you if you lose four on this schedule. What what do you think a successful season would be? Well, what you what you do, and, and I did as a coach, is you play one game at a time, and then you add them up at the end, and you hope you have a successful season. I used to always hope that we'd win all our games. Uh, realistically, probably that won't happen, but you have to be good and lucky and not have any injuries, and everything has to go really well for you to win all your games. Other teams have to maybe not play well. People have to be hurt on your opponent. Their quarterback is out. Whatever. Things have to go your way to go undefeated. To say what's a successful year, I don't know, but you want to win the Pac-12 championship. I think you always, first of all, want to win your conference. I think you have to win your conference to have a successful year. But it involves the, the, the conference you play in, the recruiting in your conference, the points to who has the best team. Uh, you got to win your conference. If you win your conference, I would say that is a successful year. Now, to win your conference, you've got to win now the South Division, and then you got to win your conference championship game. And I think that if you do that, I think you can say, hey, I'm going to the Rose Bowl or I'm going to a BCS Bowl game. And I think that's that's what you call a successful year. Now, what's the record on that? I don't know what it's going to take to win the conference. You could be 9-4 and four and win the conference championship, or you could be 13-0 and 0 or 14-0 and 0 and win the conference championship. But I think winning the conference championship is what you call a successful year. Now, what the record is, whatever the record is on top of that, but winning your conference, going to the conference championship game, going to a BCS Bowl game, if it is the uh, final BCS championship game in Pasadena this year in the Rose Bowl, then that's a real, real successful year. But I think winning the conference championship is what I say is a successful year. Now, uh, that's, of course, determined now by Pat Hayden and what he thinks it's a successful year, not what I think. Uh, all right, well, let's move on with some other questions, Coach. And uh, I think that was a good uh, good way to sum that up. But um, Mac D from Vancouver, British Columbia, we love the international questions, um, had a couple points to make. One, he was like, no offense to Coach Harvey Hyde, but the game and rules have changed a bit since he was last to coach. And we had to end up looking this up, and, uh, and, and Mac D is right here. He was talking about the when you used to go in, coach, to watch the players work out in the weight room um, to make sure they weren't going too crazy and overdoing it in the weight room. But right now, according to the NCAA, this is actually a violation during the summer. I think it – not sure during the season, but at least during the offseason, they're not allowed to go in there and watch, um, you know, watch what the workout's going. So it's changed, coach. It, doesn't seem like that's a great rule, but I'll maybe get your thoughts on that. Well, first of all, I want to thank him for calling in and, and giving me an update. I don't know if he knew the rules had changed, but I know that you checked with USC, and they have. That coaches can't go in the weight room in the summer and watch their kids work out. I think that's a stupid rule. Because I, we used to go in, and I used to go in and lift with them, work out with them, be with them, talk to them about their families, talk to them about how good they look, or look how much stronger you've gotten, or how much weight you've lost, and, and encourage them. And how's summer school going? Have you been to the beach? How's your girlfriend? Now you can't even go in the weight room. Now, I don't know how that makes any difference as far as making contact with your kids, but uh, I guess that's uh, the way the NCAA works. So I stand corrected, and uh, that is a rule that's been changed, and I'm glad that you asked that question, and I apologize for not knowing the rule before I said it, 
but uh, to me, it just seems like a rule that's unnecessary. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun to go in the, the weight room and watch them train and talk to them. In fact, I almost made it part of my staff's responsibility because we knew where we could find the kids. If we needed to find a kid for a reason, a rehab, or uh, uh, there's a problem we need to correct academically, or whatever, just seemed that it was a good place that you know where the kids were working out, and you go in and you have fun with them, and you work out with them, and they laugh at you, but you're trying to lift something, and <laughs> they spot you. I used to have them spot me, and I'd say, now, you're not mad at me before you spot me, are you? And, uh, <laughs> you know, those those type of things. So. Uh, but if you can't go in there anymore, then uh, I stand corrected, and I think it is something they've taken away that I think that uh, is unnecessary. And then he has another point on the uh, um, the contact rule, the no contact rule kind of thing. He said that they outlined a little bit of this in the Pac-12 blog uh, last week uh, in their mailbag, um, talking about what this new co- that's no contact rule is, and he summarized it by saying. It's limiting the amount of hitting in practice, something that a lot of schools and conferences like the Big Ten, Big 12, SEC, ACC are already doing and and doing at the NFL also. He says, in fact, I'm pretty sure what the Pac-12 is doing is mostly drawn from NFL policy. They'll release the official policy next month, but I promise it's nothing that already isn't being done across the country. And I think he means the United States. I know he's from up in Canada. But that's what uh, Mac D had to say about the no contact rule, Coach. I wanted to get your thoughts. Well, you know, I, I don't know whether care what the other conferences are doing. I made the comment that that if you don't learn how to play the game by playing the game physically, uh, and I've seen players get hurt, more players get hurt in non-contact drills and not scrimmaging. And we use the example of the weight room. We also use the example of two players, Farmer and Mitchell, who've been injured in non-contact uh, contact drills. Uh, I think the body needs to get conditioned condition with hitting. You don't just run or throw the ball, and, you, and at full speed uh, is a whole different uh, pitch of what the, you do on game day. You bring up the intensity, you bring up the whole speed of the football game, and it's hard to learn it without playing it that way. And if you're not in protective equipment all the time, we talked about that too, last week is I think they ought to enforce the safety rules a little bit more as far as the equipment and how they were their equipment. But uh, I'm not sure what the other conferences are doing. I thought that the Pac-12 was stepping it up, yes, towards more what they do in the NFL. But in the NFL, these guys have played football for 12 years, and they play a lot of football games, and they've learned the game, and they're getting paid to play the game. And and I'm just teaching guys to play the game in college football. It's a big level stepping up from high school to college and a huge level stepping up from college to the NFL. So, uh, yes, the NFL and the union in the NFL is limiting uh, contact and, and all of the things that are necessary to prevent injuries. And uh, I think that uh, college football should protect the players. I agree 100%, but I think to get the players to play the game of football and learn to protect themselves. As I've said, that's part of the game and also eliminating certain aspects of the game where players get hurt. We talked about that, chop blocks, blocks from the outside coming down on guys. Yes, but as far as the game of football itself, uh, I'll argue with anybody 
that I, I really believe you, you learn to play the game and your body's more conditioned when you go full speed more often than what they're doing. And I, certainly when you look at the team last year, trying to limit the number of injuries and all of that, trying to really take a lot of the physicality out of practices to, to prevent injuries, it didn't really help the product on the field. At some point, I mean, there's a risk-reward situation, but you do have to, I mean, I agree with you, Coach, to play football, it's different than, you know, what we're seeing in these summer workouts, throwing the football around in, in shorts and T-shirts. Um, you got to get hit. You got to hit in the mouth every once in a while, and it's a risk. I mean, you, you take a risk playing, practicing, and everything you do with football, but it's such an important part of that. We saw what happens when you try to make it more about meetings and where you're supposed to be as opposed to getting out there and getting the muscle memory to, to go out and actually hit guys and, and see what it feels like. And, you know, and when you show these videos of the summer workouts, Ryan, and I'm sure all of the listeners watch them as I do, every play I say, oh, gosh, that was just a just a fracture of a hair away from somebody getting hurt. Oh, gosh. Uh, it, it's no pads, no helmets, guys throwing the ball around. It's really, uh, I would say, uh, far more dangerous than doing uh, – regular physical workouts. Uh, I'm very concerned with that, and you got to hope that no one gets hurt. So, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I think there's too much of that going on, and I think that uh, you need to rest up for the season, and and you start maybe a couple of weeks before the season. But you stay in shape, you work out, you play catch, you do the necessary things, but you can do too much football too. It's always everybody saying, well, they're doing it. We need to do it. I mean, they stay up till 12 o'clock in the office. We're going to stay up till 1 o'clock in the office. We're going to outwork everybody. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Uh, you know, I think it's getting a little bit carried away on every level. Um, all right. So let's see. Let's move on to uh, JJB. He says, uh, great job. Awesome program. Thank you very much, JJB. And he said, my question's about Buck Allen. This guy seems to have so much talent. They say that he's as strong as an ox, yet one of the fastest players on the team. I've also heard he's a really good receiver out of the backfield. Do you think he will ever get a legitimate shot, or do you think he'll just be another C.J. Gable? A lot of talent, but never got a chance. Thanks. Fight on, J.J.B. And just for the record, C.J. Gable started as a true freshman, so not like he didn't get a chance, but (laughs) there's a difference there. Buck Allen, I think, uh, really improved. It was a, who is Buck Allen a year ago? I think everybody wanted to know who he was or couldn't even find him. Now I think this spring he distinguished himself. I went out there this spring. Ryan, you saw him this spring. I thought he was the second best back out there as far as toughness and improvement and doing a good job. Now I think D.J. Morgan's a great back. I just do. He just had some injury problems. I think he's got great speed. He was a great high school pl- football player. He's the one that really didn't get the chance as far as uh, being pulled because he fumbled a couple times and never had the chance to mature. And, and like I've said, I'm really worried about D.J. Morgan as far as maybe transferring after he graduates this summer if he doesn't get that chance. So I think he's a tremendous back. Buck Allen, I think he has great potential. He's a big back. He's a powerful back. He complements uh, with – he works well with Madden and, and Allen and uh, Davis, and I I haven't heard much about Isaac and how Isaac is doing yet, Uh, and these other backs that are at SC. 
So uh, I think right now what you need to do is utilize these backs and run the football and distinguish uh, uh, the secondary calls so they can't recover, run cover two all the time or di- double-team lead. they got to put some people in the box. They put them safeties up where they can stop the run and dominate the line of scrimmage. And now look what will happen with those receivers and play-action pass on first down. So myself, I, I think they've got the backs. What you got to do is believe in the run. you got to get your offensive line tougher than nails. And then all of a sudden, and I think Summers is trying to do that, the new offensive line coach, at least from what I read and hear, He's talking the way I like an offensive line line coach to talk, so we'll have to see if he's got the athletes to do that. I want to see if we've got the athletes or if he's got the athletes to dominate the line of scrimmage, and I'd challenge him to that. And if that happens and they believe in the philosophy and Coach Kiffin believes in the philosophy and you then you demonstrate it by doing it in the first football game, not talking it, then your team starts to believe it. And they think, my God, this is what we're going to do, and this sounds great. And some of the receivers that have been catching the ball 100 times a game understand it's time to block for a while, but we're going to get some Ws. Now, the Coach, one thing, you mentioned Ty Isaac, and we've got to see him a little bit out these summer workouts. Uh, I remember a drop or two, but he, seemed, he looks good. I mean, he's a good-looking player. Um, it's hard to – I mean, we, we put up the videos of, of kind of the cool plays that you get to see. And it's fun to see guys trying to cover one on one. It's fun to, um, you know, see them catching footballs or, or you know throwing the football around. Defensive backs making interceptions. But as far as like evaluating a running back, and I think even you go to camps and combine. I mean, that's a tough thing. It's 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 a whole different deal. You're talking about with shorts and t-shirts on, catching balls out of the backfield versus you know hitting the hole with pads on and bouncing off tacklers and making guys miss it's 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 kind of a different thing we're not going to know a whole lot about you know we got to see justin davis do that so we know he can and i think we've seen enough of buck allen that he's he's looked good and he he continues to look good in these summer workouts but until we get to see some pads on in a couple weeks in the fall camp i don't think we'll have a a a great idea of what ty isaac's going to look like i agree with you 100 percent, ryan is he going to fall forward every time has he got great balance is he a tough kid? Will he put his head in there? Does he run? Does he have a forward lean? Does he run straight up? These are the things you want to be able to find out under scrimmage situations, under contact. I know one thing. I know in the recruiting wars out there, a lot of the running backs in the country think SC has some great running backs, but a lot of them are looking different ways. They're saying, wow, they're loaded. I think I'm right there, aren't I? Yeah, <laughs> you're right. No, it's true. I mean, uh, even you know Joe Mixon, he brought it up when we talked to him about it five-star running back from Northern California. And he'd mentioned, yeah, they brought in a couple of five-star guys from last year. And, uh, it, you know, we've seen this happen before at USC where you have a pile of of running backs. And, I, I do, you know, Pete Carroll kind of started using a whole bunch of them. Um, I know Lane Kiffin would like to, to use, you know, one or two. And I don't I don't have, disagree with that. Uh, but it's about keeping guys healthy and, and going through the season. They did what they could last year with um, – you know, Curtis McNeil and Silas Red tried to keep it those kind of two guys going. But, you know, they were coming out of the game every once in a while and, and things were getting mixed up. And uh, we didn't get to see guys like Buck Allen as much as I, I would have liked. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that this year. You know, and I and I apologize to Silas Red if he listens to this podcast. I didn't mention his name. Yet a lot of the magazines, and I've only run, uh, read one so far, partially is Phil Steele's, and he's got him as an all-conference player. 
as a second-team all-conference player, which is tremendous. And we didn't get to see him a lot in the spring because he was hurt. So there's another running back that SC has. And Mixon, uh, you mentioned the name Mixon. I watched him. I'm going to tell you, that's a real player. And, and, uh, and for him to say, hey, I might not go to USC, he hadn't determined where he's going because they have some great backs. That's saying something because yeah. this kid can play. <laughs> he certainly can. We'll, uh, we'll have more from that. Um, we'll see him up there at the opening and also uh, he'll be at the Rising Stars camp. So be interesting to see what goes on with that. All right, we got one last one. Uh, Michael from Toronto, Canada. Another uh, another international question, another Canadian question. So thank you guys for listening up there and, and right again. He says, I look forward to listening to the three amigos every week and learning something new. Well, thank you for that. And he wants to get clarification, Coach, and I'll kind of talk about what I know about this and, and you can share your thoughts on the preferred walk-on concept um he said i read where james tolan is being added to the roster 2013 it's a preferred walk walk on apparently he gets grants and scholarship money um but he doesn't count towards the 75 scholarships and why wouldn't a team use this approach with other players like kylie fitz is there a limit to preferred walk-ons and how they remain in this category i'm guessing there's no limit on walk-ons and I'll, I'll share my thoughts, Coach, and you can jump in, too. There, you do have a roster limit, so there's a, a limit of number of players. I don't remember. It's 105. or I, It's something along those lines. I'm not sure. But there is a roster limit. You can't just have 200 walk-ons on your team. Um, but Kylie Fitz could not be a preferred walk-on because he was recruited. So the, the, the main caveat is you can't just say, uh, you know, here's this big recruited athlete, and he's going to come to USC and be on an academic scholarship. Um, he can't do that. Once you've been recruited, then you have to. If you sign with that school, you would have to. You'd be a counter, which you would count towards a scholarship. So there's some. I, I don't remember the exact rule as if you make a certain number of phone calls or if they took an official visit, anything like that. You become a recruited athlete, and that means you can't become a walk-on for that program. And preferred walk-on just means, as opposed to regular walk-on, you're not trying out. They know you can play. You were maybe on the border of getting a scholarship or you were going to go to a smaller school, you were going to go to Yale or, or walk on at USC. We've seen stuff like that happen before. Um, so preferred walk on is like, Hey, we want you to be a part of the program. You don't have to try out. You'll be on the team and stuff like that. So you've seen some of those more and we've, and we've seen some players. It's, it's not just happening with, uh, with players that are getting scholarships and claiming, I don't know if this happened back in your day coach, but a player would claim that USC's offered them a scholarship and then you'd find out they really don't. We, we've seen this even with walk-ons, too, where they say, oh, you know, USC wants me to walk on, and they haven't even been admitted to school yet. So there's, there's a lot of stuff on Twitter and stuff like this going on, but essentially these are players that are you know, kind of borderline, uh, you know, maybe lower-level Division One schools or you know, D2 schools or whatever, um, and you know, they can come out and help with depth, especially now with USC under sanctions. There's more spots for preferred walk-ons. So try to get some of those guys. They can get aid that's not football aid, um, you know, scholarship and grant money for other areas. Uh, but if you are a recruited athlete, you can't fall into that category. So that's my thoughts on that, Coach. I don't know if things have changed or what you think about it. No, I think you described it very well, Ryan. I really do. Um, a preferred walk-on is an individual who can contribute, contribute to your team, and you'll actually look at him. Uh, you, you, he'll be part of the roster. As Ryan says, there is a limit on the roster. When I was at coaching, it's like it was 125. At one time, there was no limit. There was no limit on scholarships. I remember one year, Johnny Majors 
uh, or Jackie Sherrill, was it Johnny Majors? Maybe it was Johnny Majors gave 100 freshman scholarships uh, at Pitt. And they, they, of course, changed all of that uh, because, uh, you know, you, the old philosophy was I'd rather have them on my team than play against them. And uh, a preferred walk-on is treated like a regular athlete. I mean, he's going to get all the turns. He's going to be a part of the team. He's going to be able to work out with the team, use the weight room, academic advisors, everything. But as Ryan explained, he's not a recruited athlete. You'll have some families, some parents, that maybe a kid is given a scholarship to some school, and I'm not going to name a school because I don't want to talk about a belittle a university, and the kid says, I think I'm better than that. And the parents say, we'd rather pay your way you can go to USC. We'd rather have you be a Trojan. We've saved for your money uh, to put you in school. We've saved for this, and we want you to go to USC and be a part of the team. And uh, I remember Aaron Wise's kid, uh, Wise, the big defensive end. He did that for three years out of San Marino High School. In his senior year, they scholarshiped him. They had a number. They scholarshiped him for one year. They've done that a couple of times. So it's a way of saying thank you and paying you back. So preferred walk-on is we treat you the same as all the other members of our team, except we had, can, we weren't able to recruit you, and we'd like to have you be a part of our roster. And, I think you explained it perfectly, Ryan. Oh, thanks, Coach. And I, and I think you're going to see there's guys on the team that will get scholarships that came in as preferred walk-ons and probably the number one guy. And we saw uh, you know, Kyle Negretti last year get a, get a scholarship. Um, but Ryan Dillard, who's a, a defensive back, you know, cornerback, uh, from Georgia that came out here and, and had, had scholarship offers from BCS schools and still decided to walk on at USC. Uh, a guy like him could will probably be on scholarship. If I had to guess, he'll be on scholarship next year. Um, some of, we've had to learn all these rules, Coach, because of the sanctions. But, um, you know, there's you know, USC's limited in the number of scholarships they can offer each year. It's normally 25. They can only do 15. And then the total number, as everyone knows, is 75. Um, if you give a walk-on a scholarship in his first two years, they actually will count as a initial counter, meaning they'll count towards that 15 number. But after two years in the program, they'll count as the overall number, but not the initial number. So a guy like Ryan Dillard spends two years in the program. They can give him a scholarship, and he won't count towards the 15. He'd be counting towards the 75 or when it goes back up to 85. So I think you'll see some of that stuff happening, that some of these preferred walk-ons that – if they're performing well, once USC starts to get the scholarships back, they can give a lot of these guys scholarships. So maybe their first two years they weren't on scholarship, but at least they can be for the last two. And it helps the family, and you know the kid feels a lot better about themselves. It's, it's a great thing. I mean, the, the sanctions have been terrible for walk-ons because normally you would get a few of these guys every year getting scholarships, and the sanctions have really kind of eliminated that from happening. But once the sanctions go away, uh, you'll see more of this happening. I think you'll, it'll help a lot of these families, and I think kids will feel good. The players around them feel good. They love to see a guy that is working as hard as them that's a, that's a walk-on, get a scholarship. It's a, it's a real feel-good thing going on, and we should see more of that in the next year or two. I agree, Ryan. I think that's what exactly is going to happen when they can get back up to their numbers. And uh, right now uh, they got to get ready for the season. They're working on recruiting. And uh, – it's just about here, buddy. It is. We are just about. It's unbelievable. It's almost here. Um, but lots going on between now and then. We'll, you know, certainly fall camp and all that. There'll be a lot more hitting, a lot more football we can talk about. And Coach will be down there checking out the team. But 
um, we're going to wrap it up for this segment, Coach. It's always been uh, it's always fun talking to you, and uh, thanks for getting all the questions. It was great. Thank you very much, and thank you for checking in with us and keeping us on our toes with the rules and regulations. All you uh, listeners out there, because there has been a lot of rule changes since I coached, and it sort of helps me, too, know what's going on. Cool. All right. Well, thanks again, Coach, and everyone else back in uh, 30 seconds. We're going to talk, get some more USC football information from uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back here on the Peristyle Podcast, joined by uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. Dan, how you doing today? What's going on? Doing good. Doing good. Still uh, treading water a little bit, trying to get us to that point where we actually have, have football and uh, taking a little bit of a look later today at a at the actual road trips this year and, and kind of getting a feel of um, kind of an interesting year uh, for USC on the road. And that's the kind of things you can do. I know some people like to do things like uh, preview the first game. And I think <laughs> we don't even know, you know, you don't know who the quarterback's going to be. You don't know, you know, you, there's so many things we don't know that, that getting into those kinds of details probably is more like, you know, losing your ball in the high weeds, but, uh, uh, but we do know, you know, we're going to Hawaii and we're going to uh, Notre Dame and going to Boulder and going to Tempe. You know, we're going to Tempe when it'll probably be well over 100, and we're going to, you know, three places where it could be kind of cool and chilly. Uh, uh, Notre Dame games later than it than uh, the October 19th is about as late as it gets, and uh, and then still going to Corvallis and Boulder and even uh, even San Francisco. Uh, in the second half of the schedule. So kind of an interesting schedule in, uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, but, uh, but that's the kind of thing I think you can do right now at this point in the year. All right. Well, one of the other things that kind of came up, we're going to talk about some football stuff. We have some questions, but um, we kind of hinted about this and you put up a story and I know Dennis Dodd from CBS put up a, another story today. Um, yours came out last week, kind of breaking the information about the LA times and New York times banning the, get together and uh, trying to get the documents from the NCAA, all those emails uh, unsealed in the Todd McNair case. Uh, so maybe you want to give people kind of an update of, of where all that stands and, and what's been going on. Well, uh, actually, uh, the NCAA kind of, you know, obviously took their time and basically six months before they really filed their appeal. And in their appeal, they also file a motion to, uh, to keep everything uh, sealed which isn't really the tradition in California, for sure. And, and actually, the NCA has uh, lost some of these cases in Florida. At the, in the Florida State case, they couldn't get them, couldn't get the, uh, the emails uh, and the uh, documents sealed. Um, so, uh, 
but until the uh, NCAA finally uh, filed in, I think, June 5th, then the, um, the L.A. Times and the New York Times have gone together, gotten the best law firm probably in the world, certainly in the country, to handle these kinds of media cases and open access cases. Uh, Davis Wright Tremaine, um, San Francisco, Los Angeles, you know, uh, big law firm, more than 500 attorneys, and they were really ready to hit it. They've hit it ready to go for a good while. And they filed the, uh, you know, their motion to intervene and basically say, you know, according to California law, according to U.S. law, you know, you can't agree once you file these, uh, uh, this kind of information in a lawsuit to keep it from the public. I mean, the public has a right to know what's going on here. How is this being decided? What do major, uh, you know, actors on the public stage like the NCAA, how do they do what they do? How do they do their business? Are they, you know, being, you know, uh, are they keeping their own rules? Uh, you know, what happened to Todd McNair? What happened to USC? So, uh, so that happened when uh, we reported that Tuesday. I think Dennis Dodd now, he, Dennis has got a uh, pretty good pipeline to the NCA, and he, uh, he's reporting today that they did file their uh, answer, 71-page uh, answer, which uh, I think it's probably the kind of thing that they normally file in these cases to try to keep everything uh, secret and sealed. Uh, and they, you know, haven't changed it up for the... The fact that this case is in California, California law is different. And uh, uh, it's not – basically, as Dennis points out, they say, well, if you reveal this kind of information, oh, we can't do any more prosecutions at the NCA. And Dennis makes the point that the decision uh, to reveal the uh, documents and emails in the Florida state case came about the same time as the USC uh, sanctions came down. And since then, the NCA has prosecuted 27 major infractions cases. He said that's like one, one every uh, less than every two months. So he said the NCA's own record here kind of answers their own, uh, you know, their own uh, comment about you got to keep it sealed. He says obviously <laughs> hasn't kept people, uh, hasn't kept them from filing these cases, and it hasn't kept witnesses. And he said there's so many witnesses that, uh, you know, they came forward in the Ohio State case that they talked to, everybody they needed to, uh, other than, you know, the ones that Coach Trussell couldn't keep from talking. Um, and uh, the same with the um, uh, Miami case. They've had, you know, they talked to everybody, I mean, pretty much, uh, that they could. So it's not a really that really much of a, an argument, especially when it's people saying, we don't need anybody checking on us. We're we're all the, we can check on ourselves, and we're going to keep it all secret. And don't ask any impertinent questions because uh, we don't want you to. Essentially, is what the NCAA is saying. I don't think that's going to fly. But the fact that they got it in so quickly tells us that, that maybe this uh, this decision on uh, unsealing the files might come even a little quicker than we thought. So we can only uh, we can only hope. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, stay tuned for that. Definitely, if you haven't checked out the article, it's still up on uscfootball.com or go on the message boards. It's linked in there. And uh, check it out. There's people talking about it a lot. But, Dan, great job on, on breaking that. Uh, well, well, I guess and then the next story is what does – if if what's in there is what Judge Schaller said is in there and what the NCAA doesn't want us to see that's in there, 
what does USC do about it? Yeah, that's the what, other big what, question. What if the NCAA basically framed Todd McNair and ruined his career, ruined his life, attempted to, in order to take down USC football? What if? Jeez. What does USC do at that point? So it's really a good question. Yeah, well, we'll <laughs> If that's the case, there's going to be some really upset USC fans, but we'll keep up. We'll keep in touch with it, you know everything that's going on there. You can check out uscfootball.com. We've been breaking stuff from this for years, so that's the number one source if you want to check out what's going on with Todd McNair and NCAA lawsuit and all that. But we wanted to get to some questions, Dan, uh, on the actual team. Okay. Still under sanctions, but we'll, you know we'll see if that changes down the road. Um, Rundy had a question. It says, "It seems your shows are getting better and better." Last week's was amazing. Well, thank you very much for that, Rundy. Uh, thank you for the wonderful service you provide. I've been watching all your videos from summer workouts and have two comments. The players look really buffed, and USC uh, has to lead the nation in interesting hairstyles. That, that probably could be true. Um, Dan, you often talk about Wittick's cannon arm. It seems to me that Max Brown's arm strength has improved drastically. Do you think he, too, will possess a rocket arm when he gains 10 to 15 pounds? And we all know Breslin can rush the quarterback. But how well do you think he will do in pass and run defenses as a linebacker? That's from Rundy. Uh, Rundy, uh, certainly my favorite questioner now on the uh, on the podcast, without any doubt. Uh, but uh, uh, as to uh, rocket arm, you know, I don't even know that a rocket arm is necessarily a gigantic plus. I mean, uh, uh I mean, for example, I'm not sure you would ever say, you certainly wouldn't say Joe Montana had a rocking arm. You certainly wouldn't say Tom Brady or uh, or Peyton Manning, who I think if, uh, if push comes to shove, if you had to say uh, who do you want to look like, uh, if, you're, if you're talking to Max Brown, he would say, you know, I'd like to be Peyton Manning. You know, it's you know, very similar physically, similar you know, approach to the game and all that kind of thing. Obviously, it's just you don't want to, you know, throw that and hang that on a, on a you know kid that's never played a college game before. But physically, uh, you know, some real similarities in size and 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 speed and that. I know there's a poster who who talks about uh, a slow another. If you want another slow quarterback, and I said, yeah, probably would take another slow quarterback like Joe Montana, uh, Peyton Manning, or Tom Brady. I, I think probably most USC people would, or Matt Leiner, whatever, you know, I guess those would probably be. Uh, so I'm not sure it's the, the rocket arm. I'm not sure as wonderful it is to, you know, to watch Max. Uh, you know, there are ways in which, you know, that can, uh, that cannot always be a plus, you know, sometimes that, you know, that the touch passes are a little harder to throw. Uh, you have such a you know big strong gun that sometimes you, you know you may be tempted to you know try to throw the ball through windows that that can close down on you in college and and, and what have you. So so I, I don't know. I think he'll get stronger enough, and he's already gotten stronger. I think he told me the other day uh, was he two seventeen, two eighteen, heaviest he's ever been. And you could see him putting on uh, you know Max uh, Brown putting on the weight, but I just think he want him to be strong enough to get the ball uh, where it has to be, when it has to be there uh, is, is the key. And different quarterbacks, you know, do that differently. As to Breslin, one of the big advantages, I think, with this summer is that the defense, we haven't seen this before, almost any year, uh, 
where uh, the defense is going out there in 7-on-7, 11-on-11 with as much of a game plan and with a call on every single defense that gives them a chance to uh, drop into coverage or, or rush or uh, conceal the rush and do the kinds of things that this defense is going to ask them to do. We really haven't seen that before. So he's getting a real crash course and a real uh, strong uh, chance. I mean, just every single day, every single practice, he and Devon Kennard uh, especially are making the calls and then uh, then rushing or dropping or decoying or, you know, doing all kinds of things that, that again, haven't been able to be worked on in, in past years or we haven't seen it, you know, anything like uh, at this level. So, uh, so I think uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, we won't know until the game starts, but uh, Breslin's certainly getting an opportunity to do some of those things, and, and I think it's, uh, it's a great, you know, chance for him. He's got terrific, you know, feet and quickness, and, and we'll see, you know, in terms of the hands and the ball awareness and, and playing in space and all that. Um, I, I think it's, it's just wonderful, though, for his development uh, for the next, uh, the next level of, uh, of football. Um, all right. Let's, thanks for that one, Rundy. Let's go to Greg Katz, uh, our buddy in Signal Hill. He says, Dan, What's the status with the tickers? Is with the tickers with the kickers? <laughs> is Hadari all healed up, and who's going to do kickoff and punt duty? Now Hadari says he will. He said he is all, all healed up, ready to go. Uh, but Craig, you know Craig McMahon is, uh, uh, you know he can. He's a sidewinder, another Bakersfield kid who did a lot of the, you know, kicking off last year, and. Uh, Basically, I think you have two guys that can kick off. I think, uh, uh, I, you know, I don't know if there's a reason to, to not put Hadari on kickoff because he, he, he wants to make a tackle every kickoff, and that's kind of how he got hurt in the Hawaii game last year. Uh, I don't know uh, how they decide that, but, but I know he wants to kick off. feels like he's 100%, 100% and, uh, and, uh, and will be fine uh, this year. And that was a big drop-off, I think, last year with him getting hurt probably coming back too soon and uh, to have that kind of indecision on, you know, like starting with the Stanford game, you know, as to what, what do you do, uh, you know, when you're you know, in the red zone and uh, can you, you know, can you kick it? Can you, you know, I think, uh, I think it hurt, hurt probably more than we ever said at the time. And the fact that his coming back early probably never allowed him to come back fully uh, it was it was one of those season long issues that uh, you know that hopefully won't be there this year. But but it's one that you know we'll, we'll be interested in seeing how they handle it. They're probably not going to tell us, so stay tuned for the Hawaii game to, <laughs> to see how they do that. They might not even tell us then. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. We will see. Um, all right, thanks for those, Greg. Let's see. Uh, let's go to Robert. Uh, he says I'm a USA alumni. From Honduras, and have listened to every podcast. Well, thanks. We love the international uh, questions, and um, thanks for sending us one in from Honduras. Uh, we have a couple from him, actually. So the first one, um, he says, uh, John Schneider, the GM for the Seattle Seahawks, said that one of the most important things they look for in a college player is that they love to play football. Do you think USC does a good job of recruiting players who truly love football, 
or they or are they blinded sometimes by star rating and or I mean or size and speed? I think everybody maybe gets into that a little bit with that you know some of those star ratings. I mean we could think of of, um, of some kids who actually they didn't get in, in recent years that you weren't always sure if they uh, if they really wanted to play football or not when you looked at some of their high school videos. So uh, uh, I think. I think that's one of the things that, that Coach Orgeron does pretty well in terms of uh, I think he's got a, uh, a good sense of, you know, what each kid, uh, you know, brings to the table in terms of how much they really like playing football. I, I think if you look at those videos uh, uh, this summer, you see a, a bunch of kids who all look like they really like playing football. That's a, it's kind of a – a nice thing about this team is that they really do seem to to like playing football, and uh, that's uh, it's one of the reasons. If 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 you read the reports, it sounds a little optimistic. It sounds kind of upbeat. One of the reasons is watch those kids, and and they look like they're you know they really look like they like what they're doing, and uh, are enjoying it. I mean they work really hard before you see those you know before they're out there doing those videos that we're allowed to show you and we're allowed to watch them in the throwing sessions they've done a you know often like an hour and a half of really hard you know conditioning and and weightlifting work and uh and still you see that enthusiasm that real upbeat kind of uh way they um, they go after it so uh so i think they've done a pretty good job with this team in finding those guys uh, who are doing it for all, you know, because they really, really enjoy it. And then his second part of the question was, you constantly hear from coaches like David Shaw or Brett Bielema, coaches from non-traditional powerhouses, you constantly hear the phrase, develop our players. Is USC great at developing its players? Or does it focus too much attention on finding playing time for superstar freshmen? I, I think, think I know where Robert's year, is. Yeah, last year. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. No, no. I think that's. I think I could, I could see where Robert's leading on that one. But get your thoughts on that. Oh yeah, no. I think last year was a disaster as far as development. I just think it was, uh, you know, development totally got lost in and uh, and defending a uh, top ranked, you know, uh, you know, a number one ranking, for example, and uh, and I, I I think you know in terms of how they practiced and all of that, it was about, you know, trying to defend and not get anybody hurt and whatever. And, and it, it, it certainly did not see seem that last year was an attempt to develop players to get them better, bigger, stronger, faster, tougher, uh, you know, more, uh, you know, able to, uh, to run the offense and the defense and all that kind of thing. Uh, none of that happened. I mean, that was a, was a really bad year for development. Hopefully that message is – is so understood now that uh, that you just have to do that. You, you, there's no other. You have no other option. These teams, and you, you mentioned Stanford. They're working too hard at it. They're getting too much better. I mean, they really work at getting better. That wasn't that good a Stanford team at the beginning of the year. I mean, that wasn't a good enough Stanford team to beat USC. USC beat itself, obviously, in that game. But Stanford got better. They kept getting better, and USC did not. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's what it's all about. There are more teams in the Pac-12 now, for example, that are working hard to get better and do really smart things and, um, and really get it, you know. 
Arizona and Arizona State, you know, Oregon State. Uh, these teams are working really hard, you know, and uh, they're not going to let you just show up, you know, throw your cardinal and gold stuff out there and uh, say, look who we are. Uh, you got to be better than they are. You got to outplay them. You got to you got to be better by the end of the year than you were at the beginning of the year, and that has to happen this year. Now, we were encouraged certainly by uh, the way they approached the spring. We've been encouraged by what they've said about what they're going to do. We're encouraged by the way the players are approaching the summer. Okay, now comes now comes the fall. Now comes you know actual games, and uh, and we'll we'll see. I mean, I think they were right. You know, it became a cliche. It was about the prep, and not about the hype. <laughs> Last year, unfortunately. They allowed it to be about the hype, yeah. and maybe that's not possible you know, to do anything else if you are picked number one and you deep down don't think you really – you're not really sure if you deserve to be there or you're afraid that you don't have enough players to, to do it or whatever. All the reasoning went in to, to all the decisions that were made as to how they did things. But, uh, uh, you know, they have no choice. They have to develop players. They've got to figure out how to do that. When you look at Coach Summers in the offensive line, when you look at Clancy Pendergrass, the way the defense is, you know, taken to it and, and the way they seem to understand that while it's simple and aggressive, it's also multiple in ways in which it probably is going to be fairly difficult for people to totally understand, you know, what you're going to give them and where you're coming from, unlike in, you know, previous years. And so, uh, uh, you know, I think it will be uh, when he talked to Mike Eckler, uh, the way he approaches coaching the linebackers. Uh, I think there is that sense of, you know, teaching and coaching and, and development that, uh, that maybe wasn't around, uh, uh, certainly wasn't around last year, uh, but, but he absolutely has to be. They have to figure it out. The uh, the prep not hype the prep not hype thing is funny just because I for having a slogan or a mantra like that I don't know if you want a negative in there like what you're not supposed to do like if you're you know if you're on the tee box and there's water right and you're like don't slice don't slice don't slice I mean what are you gonna do you're gonna like you're you're supposed to think you know keep it up the left side you're supposed to think the positive thing what you're gonna do so if you want to talk all about the prep that'd be one thing but to say like not hype it's like you're bringing hype into the well, into your your thought process. They got lucky that year in that Notre Dame and Oregon played into their hands. Notre Dame moved the game to Saturday night, turned it into a big Super Bowl, you know, quote-unquote Super Bowl that that Lane rightly, you know, focused on and made fun of and made it it clear, and his players totally believed it, that this was going to work against Notre Dame, that they were trying to do too much, bringing in all these California recruits and, all the stuff they were going to do because it was a night game and they'd have time to get them there after their Friday night games. Or that Oregon, Phil Knight brings in all the Nike basket, NBA players for, on the sideline and they turn that into another Saturday night extravaganza. And uh, so the circumstances really fit the not hype part of that. But it may not have a big part, a big carryover. And especially if you're not prepping, <laughs> you better do the prep. And uh, if you're so tied up in the hype that says, oh, you guys are num- preseason number one, you have unfinished business, uh, 
and then you forget to prep or you decide we can't afford to prep because we don't have enough players or whatever, you know, all went into that. Uh, then you're actually making the case that, yeah, it was about the prep and you didn't prep, you know, you better prep. So I agree with you. Let's just, let's just focus on the prep. Let's prep. And kids know if they're better prepared than you. I mean, they knew, for example, in South Bend two years ago, they knew in, in Eugene two years ago, they were better prepared to win those football games than the people they were playing. And it was a wonderful feeling. I mean, they didn't, you know, they still, at Notre Dame at the end, you know, when they, they you know, just controlled the ball and ran it down their throat with, with uh, uh, Curtis McNeil or the, uh, uh, and, you know, uh, and Eugene, when they got that big lead and then kind of went into reverse, except for the very last drive when they, they got aggressive again and, and stopped them. And again, the USC, one of the, the great moments was USC predicted because of their preparation for the uh, field goal block that, that Oregon would not be able to kick that field goal. And USC had been successful and they had prepared and they were ready mentally, they absolutely knew on that last field goal that that kid wasn't going to make it because he was going to try to, uh, you know, he saw Matt Khalil, and he knew he had to, you know, hook it around a little bit. And Jesse uh, really did a good job that year, that second half of the season, prepping those kids, um, you know, for what was going to happen. And teams played in their hands. You talk about hype. How smart was it UCLA shows up in the white uniforms? I mean, come on. Are you kidding me? I mean, it was like, could we ask for any more? Then they're so desperate, they're going to, you know, turn up in uniforms that look like Brigham Young or whatever (laughs) in our stadium. I mean, it was like, so everything fell into place two years ago. Everything fell out of place last year. But it is, it's all around, you know. Are you prepping better than, uh, than the people you're playing? And if they, uh, if the hype screws either side of the of the game up, good, good. That's so much the better. But you don't have control of that. All you got is control of how well do you prep. Uh, we got a couple quick ones here. One's from Terry, and he says, uh, Dan, when players like Troy Palomalu return to finish their degrees, must they come back to Los Angeles to attend the required classes? You know. I don't know in every in every subject whether that's true. I know uh, T.J. McDonald's dad uh, uh, certainly made the drive down from Fresno. That was a big part of you know being able to uh, you know to get his degree. Uh, Troy, I do think you know, but I think there are probably different you know kinds of courses, and it depends on how much you have how much you have to. Uh, uh, you know, take and what, you know, what your major and all that is. But I think uh, mostly they, you do see them back on campus, I guess, this year. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I guess there were at least a couple of guys that came back. And, and one, you know, David Boothenthal, basketball after, gosh, 10 years. But they come back. So there may be ways in which you can do some of the things off campus. But, um, but they do come back, yeah. And then uh, Marcel wanted to know about the Coliseum. He says, now that USC will be taking over, do you think that's going to change the condition of the field, or how would that change the condition of the field? Well, I think it's already changed. I mean, I think that it was the best uh, we've seen it in the spring. 
that I've ever, uh, you know, that I've seen it since I've been, uh, you know, doing uh, doing the games for 11 years, 12 years, whatever now. Um, so I think, I mean, we would see, for example, for the first time, after, right after the game, they would be out, uh, you know, cutting the grass and doing the kinds of things that you would see at, at major PGA golf tournaments, you know, when as soon as the play for the day is finished, uh, the, um, you know, the groundskeepers are out, you know, cutting the greens and doing all that kind of stuff. Well, uh, you would see that. So it's noticeably improved already uh, just with, you know, with the idea that USC was going to end up taking it over. But uh, I think without a doubt uh, it, it will improve, yes. Okay, and then we just one last one uh, from Paul in Las Vegas. He's, uh, he wants to get Ryan and Dan's take on my observation that our recruiting staff – are not reaching to fill these required classes. Counterintuitive to worry about taking guys who aren't SC material right now with restricted numbers, but we could have we could have in this last class, and they didn't. Your opinion, please. I think he's talking about you know they had a smaller class last year, uh, reaching right. you know reaching for guys trying to fill out the class and, and or keeping these numbers small. Well, yeah, I think reach, you know, if you use the word reach, I don't know if you should ever reach to fill a class. Uh, you know, uh, if I were, you know, if you're going to reach, reach for, uh, you know, you know, preferred walk-ons and try to fill your class that way rather than, uh, than kids. If you're not convinced that they can really help you win, uh, I'm not sure that, you know, you're really benefiting yourself, uh, you know, by, by filling the numbers and saying, well, you know, we didn't get the five we wanted, but we got five other guys. Uh, I'm not sure that's doing a favor to those guys if you're not convinced that they can really play for you and, and contribute. So, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, I think considering everything with the sanctions, they've done really pretty well. Considering how last year went, you know, I know it's easy to focus on the ones that got away, but if you look at the ones that, you know, that, that ended up here, uh, what did I think, nine of the top ten players that came into the Pac-12 this are coming into the Pac-12 this year or coming to USC? <laughs> or is it eight out, of, eight out of the top ten? And I know people say, oh, they just didn't get it done, you know, last year. They got the best quarterback in the country. They got the best, probably best defensive back or best athlete. Uh, possibly the best nose tackle. I mean, uh, that's a pretty good year when yeah. you think about it. Actually, uh, now you think about it, a couple of the best, uh, best, uh, you know, others, you know, three of the actually three of the top secondary guys, and were which was certainly a need. Uh, that's a pr- really pretty good year. Uh, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe they'll get things will work out on this NCA stuff and. Maybe some of those scholarships will come back in ways that could benefit USC. I mean, I think the limitations make it really hard to make some of those judgment calls uh, in terms of having guys lined up behind guys, behind guys, behind guys. Everybody knows what the numbers are and what the limitations are. And uh, so I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't, like some people do, Focus on you know finding fault with the uh, with uh, the recruiting, the way it's gone. I mean, just just getting a a Max Brown in here, and a Sue Craven. If if you only got those two guys, 
he had a really good year. Um, so, so I, I like it that they're going for their top quality kids and that they haven't backed off. They haven't sent a message that, uh, you know, we're going to go in a couple of different directions. Um, anyway, that's my take. All right. Well, hey, great stuff, Dan. Appreciate it. Uh, another good show. Hopefully everyone enjoyed it out there. We're getting a lot of positive feedback. So thanks. We keep it going throughout the entire off season. And then, of course, when fall camp starts, it's going to get a little crazy. But we'll uh, we'll keep doing it like we do every week. And uh, thanks again, Dan, for uh, coming on the show. I enjoyed it. As always, good questions. Thank you, guys. Yeah. And, you know, actually, I'm going to be out of town next week. So I'm going to see if we can do the show. I'm not sure. We might not have a show next week because I will be back east visiting family. But I will let everyone know on uscfootball.com if we're going to have a show or not. But there might not be one next week because I will be traveling. It might be hard to record, but we'll, we'll, we'll do that. But thanks again, Dan, and everyone else, thank you very much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll talk to you next week or the week after that. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.